Hi guys, this is Danny Bidaris and you're listening to Talking with TK. G'day guys, welcome to episode 128 of Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Connell. Really stoked to be back for another great season. We kicked it off last week with Big Georgie Rose, and we continue it with one of the all-time greats in Bedsy, Danny Badiris. You know, Bedsy, obviously an all-time great at the Knights, also former New South Wales captain. You know, today's day and age, love his work on Fox Sports. I think him and Brandy are my two favorite guys to get analysis from each week. He's also the New South Wales assistant coach, and we all know how good they went last year, and hopefully that will continue on to this year. So today's episode's a little bit different because we actually recorded it in two parts. So we had about half an hour on each day, so we recorded it about two weeks apart, but the first one goes for half an hour, and then the second one goes for half an hour as well. So I picked the brain on Danny on Various topics from from his career to media to coaching, lots and lots of different topics. So stay tuned for another bumper episode. Whether it's your first time here or you're a regular, if you haven't caught up with all the episodes, definitely check it out at www.talkingwithtk.com or you can just simply search Talking With TK if you've got a podcast app on your phone. If you're a Knights fan, there's plenty out there in the back catalogue, the likes of Paul Harrigan. Mark Hughes, Kurt Gidley, Clint Newton, and Corey Patterson have all made appearances, but plenty of sports out there and plenty of different teams and players from the NRL in particular. Just a big shout out to everyone that's left reviews lately. I really appreciate you taking the time to review it, whether it's on you know your Apple Podcasts, your iTunes, or on Facebook. I really do appreciate all the reviews. Just helps me to continue to grow the show. I also appreciate you sharing it with your family and friends. There's no doubt that your efforts to do that has really made the show what it is. So I really appreciate that. Definitely do get in touch. I'd love to hear where you're listening from or any suggestions for the show or guest requests. Always open to hear your your suggestions and I always do my best to try and get in contact and track down the people that you want on the show. So send me an email, old school, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com or get in touch on Facebook or Twitter. I'm at TalkingWithTK or on my Instagram. It's just Tristan now. All right, guys, really excited to bring you this episode, and I introduce Danny Badiris. All right, guys, my special guest today is Danny Badiris. Danny is a legend of the rugby league with his distinguished career, including 339 first-grade games across the Newcastle Knights and Leeds Rhinos. He's also the most capped players at the Knights, and he's also a former captain of the New South Wales Blues, where he played 21 Origins, also playing 21 24 tests for Australia. Away from the game, he commentates on Fox Sports, and he's also assistant coach to Freddie Fittler at the New South Wales Blues. Welcome to the podcast. Cheers, Tristan. Thanks for stopping by, mate, and thanks for inviting me to this very impressive <laughs> facility. Cool. Why don't we start there? Because, you know, your coaching's really evolved. Even though you're not head coaching at the moment, I see, obviously, the success that you've had with the Blues... I just wanted to really figure out, because coaching something that really, really intrigues me. Like, yeah. I watch American sports, literally just to see what the coaches are doing. 
So tell me a little bit about your own involvement in the coaching field. Yeah, well, I was at the Knights, and I, when I retired, I, I jumped in there and did a bit of coaching, and I, I enjoyed that. That was great. And but at the time, uh, after Wayne Bennett had left and Nathan Tinkler's regime had finished at the Newcastle Knights, uh, it was it was a hard hard gig. Mm. Um, everything got sort of taken away, and. Uh, maybe if I was in a different program there at the time, maybe I'd still be coaching in Clubland. But the next best thing for me was at that time was to be involved in New South Wales Pathways. And yep. with that was Brad Fittler and we did the 16s, 18s uh, and then I coached the 20s. And so I came through the grades there in the Pathways. So I got to know a lot of the players that are, are playing today in, in the seniors. And so Freddie and I sort of progressed together. And yep. then, um, you know, 2018, we, we got the seniors job and uh, it was awesome. I, I know how Freddie works and... Um, what what he wants and he's very innovative in how he wants to go about his work and um, yep. no, I, I help him out along those ways and we, we got a great team together not only um, on the field but off the field the, the staff I think that was a big thing so I enjoy all parts of coaching I enjoy seeing people get better and yep. um, but at the, working with the elite is, is amazing and um, in this new facility here at the Centre of Excellence out at Homebush is, is sensational. Yeah, in terms of coaching, about Danny, like how do you develop yourself? Because you know you just mentioned being thrust into that first grade position really, really early, especially after the long career that mm. you had. Do you see it more kind of like an apprenticeship now and trying to learn to maybe again go back into that sort of role? Yeah, well, absolutely. Clubland is just totally different to what I'm doing here and in, in, in the elite, you know, with New South Wales where you get them for three games. But mm. there's programs that run for 12 months all year round with the, with the Pathways kids. But when you're in Clubland, you've got um, so much to deal with. You know, it's coaching is probably only 20% of it. Yeah. The rest of it is just organising it. And But you have to get the right people in place. So it takes that pressure off you so you can just coach. And, you know, the great coaches you look, you look at uh, at the moment in Craig Bellamy and, yep. and, and Trent Robinson are probably leading that and they just do their job. But they're across everything as well. Mm. But the hiring and firing, the salary cap part, that's just a whole other beast. Yeah. But uh, if you can keep evolving your message that you portray to your players and keep on passing on, that's the key to coaching, I think, from a point of view of if they can believe what's coming out of your mouth and how you say that message, yep. uh, you'll get results. You know, with yourself being involved in the Australian team, your South Wales team, great Knights teams, and then over, over with Leeds as well. Like, you've had so many great coaches. You know how some like it is easy to learn from people and take the best of everyone mm. but it, for you because you've had so many good coaches is it hard to kind of distinguish what you should take from each one yeah and you're right i, I sat down um a couple of years ago it was and not i've never been one to look back yep. in, in my career and um and that you know the history of it all with the people that have um stood in front of you and coached you is, is just phenomenal like the starting from all the way from warren ryan back i think is you know, he innovated a lot of things in our game yep. um, that are still today. You know, the block plays and all that. A bloke called Alan Bell back in Newcastle, um, phenomenal coach and still involved in the game from a um, from an outside point of view. And yep. um, so there's a couple there. And then you go all the way to the, the modern coaches. And, you know, I've, I've had a lot in origin. That's one thing about playing the rep team. You get so many great coaches and mm-hmm. playing for Australia as well. So... But I wish I did take down a lot more from the point of view of pen and paper. I wish I did that. Um, but at the time, you, you just, like I said, you're not one to look back. You're just yeah. worried about it's, – it's very in a selfish way, I think, being a, a, a pro sportsman. You're yeah. worried about how you feel. You're worried about how you prepare. you worry about um, how you perform. And, and you get told that. You get told, worry about your own job, worry about your own job. And 
uh, the good coaches, the young coaches coming through now, um, you know, someone like Cameron Seraldo and, yep. and Johnny Morris and all those guys, I bet you they, they wrote down a lot of things like mm. the coaches had said. And I guess it's probably fresher too yeah. because they've just finished as well. That's right. And the messages that you do get, um, sometimes uh, you wish you did take them down because yeah. a lot of things that I used in my origin coaching now is through Phil Gould, uh, Ricky Stewart, yep. uh, guys like that. And I've never forgotten those lessons and they're still with me today. And that's all I'm trying to regurgitate that a little bit and put my own polish on it and um, try and breathe these next ones because I love that part of our game, the, um, the combativeness, yep. the war, the war-orientated um, ways you want to go about it. And, mm. and I thought Phil Gould is he's the best at that. I just love playing Origin under Phil Gould. It's just psychological warfare at, at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, we've well, got to take away their, their prized asset. You know, you've got to take yeah. away what they're good at and how, how you do that. That's what a game plan is. It's about taking away, you know, what's something that they, they love to do. Yep. And, you know, I, I love that part of, um, you know, going in as an underdog and, and doing that, you know, and that's that's the best part of any sort of game is defense and, you know, absorbing the pressure, turning it around and then applying the pressure when you get the chance. And um, I think that's all coaches. They, they love to see their team do that because they know they're well prepared. Yeah. Now, Danny, I know that you like your American sports. I love it. Do you turn to any of the American coaches and just have a look at what they're kind of doing for any insights? Oh, yeah. Well, you, you look at, you know, the NFL and how that how that's run and uh, you look at the way they have their their special teams, they've got their coaches that are just specific in what they do. Our game's obviously headed that way and heading yep. that way even more. Um, you know, you've got your defensive coach, your attack coach, you've got your, your run mm. coach, you've got your outside backs coach, you've got all coaches, um, horses for courses and what they do. So, um, no, I, I love, you know, you look at anyone, you look at Bill Belichick, everyone talks about Bill Belichick, but I'd, I'd imagine that the same message he's been saying um, in the Super Bowl win mm. a couple of months ago um, is the same message he said for a long time. Yeah. So I think that's how you build trust and honest, honesty within your playing group is by delivering the same message. And if they know that um, you know, you're routine in how you, you do things and not change, uh, I think that's how you build a, a really solid team. Okay, some interesting perspectives yeah. there. All right, Danny, take me back to the start because you're a Taree boy. Oh, you're yeah, a Taree boy, boy that yeah. loves St. George. I did, yeah. At 95, I, I went and trialled. Uh, I was 94, I trialled at St. George. Uh, my family, I used to go to St. George all the time for um, uh, Tacogra for Christmas. So I got a lot of family down yeah. there. So I was like, Jesus, it would be pretty cool to move down there and live with my auntie and uncle and and play for the Dragons. That was my dream sort of as a youngish kid. And I got the opportunity to have an open trial. Yep. Um, I didn't touch the ball, hardly touched the ball at all. It's hard it those once trials, oh, it is. Yeah. So, and then that was it. That was my Dragons career over and done with. Went to the Newcastle Knights um, the next week. And we played from pretty much 8.30 in the morning till yep. 5 in the afternoon. So probably played about half a dozen games. Um, so, and then... Yeah, the Newcastle Knights said, how about you come down here next year, finish your school off, and, and that was it. Because how um, old were you, 16? Yeah, 16. So I moved away from home when I was um, uh, nearly 16. Yeah, so How was that? It was, it was hard. It was difficult. I've got to thank my mum and dad for that, really. I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a parent now, and um, for me to let my three kids go, and when one of them was 16, I'd, it's a big call. So um, no, mum and dad knew I was pretty excited about having a career in the game and yep. uh, what sacrifice I, I made. And so they've, they made a sacrifice as parents, I guess you could say, and say, so all if that's your dream, follow it. And, but you've got to, got to make sure you're, you're disciplined in what you do. Yeah, you lived with the Big O, didn't you? Oh, I lived with the Big O. I, I lived in a family out at Belmont North, and oh, we lived down the road. So we sort of 
caught the same bus to school. We went to St. Francis Xavier College. Yep. Um, I was a public school boy up at Chatham High, and then all of a sudden I became a, a Catholic, a Catholic uh, yeah, boy at St. Francis Xavier. So that was a, a real change up in itself. And had to wear the tie, yeah, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so I got um, now we had a, a pretty good footy team back then as well at, at Xavier. That's where the Knights sent their yeah. kids. And did you go far in the what they call it, Commonwealth Bank Cup? Yeah, oh, we got to the top sixteen. We played down here at uh, Parramatta Stadium against uh, Parramatta Marist. Yep. Nathan Kales was in that team. He's the skipper of that, and and they beat us there. That was a great experience. The whole school was there, and um, was that, that your first time on the big? Yeah, I guess you could say. Yeah, and it was it was just a it was a huge crowd and yeah. it was a pretty hostile environment, which was great. But I was lucky enough to make the the ninety five schoolboys tour, which um, that was my huge goal going to into year twelve. And yeah. it was um, you and Baz in the halves, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I played a bit of uh, centre in there. Matt Gidley was a half. Um, we had a good team. Uh, Trent Barrett, uh, yep. Dennis Moran was a really good player. Yeah, really Nathan Kalis was in that team. Um, back in the day, a guy called Royston Lightning. Uh, he was a winger, wasn't the he? Bolt. From yeah, yeah, he was a great. Teddy Simpson, um, Andrew McFadden. We had we had a real good team, and yeah, we toured the UK and and France, and you know, those memories uh, to last a lifetime. You're still pretty close to those guys. Yeah. So you're not a hooker then. So who was playing uh, hooker in that team? Uh, the player called Lee McWilliams. Lee McWilliams was a from. For? He was up at the Cowboys. Cowboys. He probably had a, a good. He had a really okay. good career up there. And so Lee McWilliams was playing a bit of hooker. Um, so yeah, I was out in the centres, and um, but I, I enjoyed that part of working out different parts. I think everyone before they actually nail down their position needs to play mm. in multiple positions because you get a different perspective and how the ball should come to you and what's, what's it like defending that position and. I very rarely say that if you, you come through the grades and you're just an out-and-out winger or an out-and-out mm. centre, most of the times you chop and change a little bit, but it's a, a good good understanding of how you should get the ball and different perspective on different positions. Yeah, but when, once you did find what position, obviously, at hooker in first grade for you, your runs out of dummy half was outstanding. Yeah, but- well, it came down to Warren Ryan and and Mal really at uh, the Newcastle Knights they were pretty obviously. Mal, uh, Warren, as I spoke about, is, um, at, was at the forefront of a lot of things in our game. And he knew that the focal point in the hooking position was just about to change. You know, you had a, yeah. a real attacking players in Benny Elias and um, and Steve Walters. Mm. And Steve Walters actually came to the club at Newcastle, and I learned a lot, a lot of boxhead there in in '99. So was it one season? Yeah, one season. That's right. So he came there and. Um, Taught me a little bit about the trade. There's no doubt about that. But yeah. the understanding of getting out and playing out of there a little bit more, and it's not just about getting a quick ruck. You got to get to, you know, get out to B and C, which is where the defenders are. Yeah, uh, two out or three out around from the ruck, and I think that was all starting to happen out of there. A few different shapes, and a lot of halfbacks were starting to transform into the hooking role. So. Um, I was lucky enough to, to be a part of that evolution of that position, I guess yep. you could say, and I uh, never developed a kicking game. I didn't need a kicking game because <laughs> the Messiah was outside of me and Andrew Johns, so I wasn't game enough to even try to kick the ball when he's there. So, um, yeah, it was, my job was pretty easy. It was just to make sure I developed a really good pass, yep. uh, take my opportunities and, and defend. And if you're playing hooker, you got to like to defend, and I didn't mind that part. Yeah, one thing I think you did invent, though, Danny, was – when you used to scoop the ball up, you used to take one step to your left or right to kind of take the marker out, yeah, and then draw. Who, who taught you that? Yeah, so that that 
that as I spoke about that evolving of that position, it was it's about the ruck, the ruck speed, and understanding how you sort of lock players in. So if yeah. I was, if I lock the marker in, that means there's some some space for the ball receiver, which yep. is obviously usually a forward. And so that's it's just bringing players onto the onto the ball, playing upstream. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say that's playing um, from goalpost to goalpost. So your, your hips are square playing up there. So if that marker was to slide slide off of me. Um, I'd have you an opportunity run. to run. Yeah. yeah. So my, my understanding of all that and trying when I teach is just make sure your, your hips are playing goalpost to goalpost. And if they're playing to the sideline. Because that's where they get it wrong, People, other people that do it, right? Well, it's, yeah. If you're playing side, if your hips are facing the sideline, that means you're not locking anyone yep. in because they can just slide yeah. off and you go straight to the ball receiver. So those things uh, I learned pretty quickly. And um, the, the more time that I could control that middle of the ruck, that gives Andrew uh, a lot of things to do there. And, he was spoon feeding our team a lot of the time, and the way he communicated to us and organised our team—not only at the nights and when he came into the Origin Arena at times was phenomenal. Yeah, I can only imagine. So you know, Australian schoolboys that year that you made it, like that's kind of around the year that kind of Super League comes in. That's right. Did you did you miss the Super League? Like yeah. everyone's getting lottos and you know, yeah. they're getting million dollar checks. Like yeah. for you guys, because you would have been good. Prospects because you guys, yeah, I got boys. a crazy story about that. So, 95, I get a knock on the door um, about the Super League. Well, what are you going to do? And I just say, oh, I don't even know what's going to happen here. Like, I'm a, I'm a kid, I'm a 16 year old kid from Taree. So, what, what do you want me to do? They said, Well, you got an opportunity to go with the Hunter Mariners or you got an opportunity to stay with the Newcastle Knights. Yeah, they said, But whatever you do, don't sign straight away, take it easy. So, first. The Mariners came and said, "This is what we're going to offer you." And I'm a kid. Don't forget. Yep. So he's fifteen thousand bucks. I went, "Wow, that's where do I where do I sign? Where yeah. do I sign?" And then I still had the thing, "Don't sign." So I went back to the ARL and I said, "Listen, this is my opportunity to go to the Mariners. This is what's what they've offered." They said, "Here, he's twenty. I went, "This is amazing. This wow. is crazy. What do I do? Where do I sign?" And they said, "Go back. You got to talk to the Mariners. You got to, and then away you go from there." And they. And nothing happened there, so I signed for twenty five grand as a sixteen year old. That was my little taste of it. Yeah, but I was thinking, what the hell is going on with those big, big time players up the top end? You know, so as you could imagine, what was going on up there? But so Chief I would have been rolling. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'd, I'd signed for um, a huge contract that for, what, for that time. I was I was blown away, but. Um, it was more than that, though. In Newcastle, I guess it was about staying in that. ARL environment. Yeah. Um, I still believe that that game saved the game in a lot of ways. That grand final in '97, mm. anyone, not just because the Knights won it, but just the whole story. I you guys needed stories. it, but yeah. Well, BHP shut in Newcastle. Yeah. Ten thousand people lost their jobs. Did you have any family that was? Uh, no, I didn't. But they were looking to to really an uplifting story and an uplifting. Um, situation to be in and uh, the Knights knew that the Knights mm-hmm. had never beaten Manly in that time and it was a, it was a really um, huge campaign you saw the scenes when the team was leaving to go down yeah. to the, the Sydney Football Stadium um, a couple of days before the event and you just seen that they can't couldn't come back losers and the players said that and um, you know when you saw the scenes after they won it was um, something that the town needed and something that the the team needed as well because yeah. they, they had to, you know, to get that first maiden premiership. First season in first grade for you though, because you debut off the bench against yeah. Crushers. But it's it, that's what I miss. Like back in the days, you know, you could just pour a young kid off off the Reggies or sometimes yeah. even twenty ones. Yeah, 
put them on the bench for first grade and all of a sudden they're thrust into... That's right. It's called President's Cup back yeah. then, the under-21s and then you had reserve grade and some of the reserve grade, the reserve grade was such a good competition. It was yeah. physical. Everyone's doing their bit to get into first grade and so everyone would stand by the three grades. So Were you paying attention? If you're lucky enough. Oh, yeah. So you, you just, you'd be thriving to stand by. Like yeah. if you got the tap to say, yeah, keep your boots on, you're going to stand by and you know, you'd see that the bench turn around sometimes, the managers look at the bench and you'd go, <laughs> oh, your heart would start jumping and then you'd turn around again I'm swear playing games with you so yeah I, I got a, a start in 97 off the bench come on and played a little bit of hooker and what it just was that addictive I just couldn't believe the the ferocity of it the speed so um, it was hooker that you came on yeah I played play, I played a little bit of hooker yeah just just to pass the ball it was only five or ten minutes it wasn't much and so then, who went off Lee Jackson yeah I, I can't remember I can't remember I had a lot of things going on yeah. I can't remember who I was going on for but at the same time did you time, have one of those big parachute jerseys uh, it was big yeah. it was definitely big to think what we used to wear to what they wear today <laughs> is just mind blowing so, uh, but yeah, it was. I remember Robbie O just running the ball back, just bouncing off players, just hitting and spinning, and the crowd, the roar of the crowd. It, yeah, you just became addicted to it. And um, after '97, all I did after '97, yeah, after the grand final, was wake up every day just trying to be a part of that again. You know, and that's lucky enough we did that. No one. Yeah. So once '97 happens, you know, obviously you taste what it's like to be involved in a team that wins mm. a comp. For you to play regular first grade and try to break into that team, yep. where did you think you needed to improve? Uh, my communication. I, I, I was a pretty quiet kid, yeah. um, but I didn't want to be – I knew my place. That was one thing. And uh, I knew I had to maybe um, be good at something that makes the team good, mm-hmm. and that's defending really well, um, passing the ball whenever I need it, and it has to be a perfect pass. You know, And that's what Andrew Johns deserves. You know, yeah. I think he made my game better because if I didn't put that pass where he wanted, I was getting a huge rocket. So straight away, I knew I had to have my pass good. Yeah, um, I had to take, make sure, as I spoke about before, locking players in, making sure the ruck was my sort of domain and making sure um, I understood the role of the ball and making sure the flow of the ball where it went. But what I had to probably improve was my, um, my personality in a way from a point of view of leadership, I okay. guess, and, and, and feeling like I belonged. You know, I guess I, from a confidence point of view, I, was, I didn't see myself as um, a first grader, although I wanted to do it my whole life, but I just couldn't mm. believe I was there. So I had to make sure uh, I, I did envision myself being a first grader. Yeah. How many games do you think, because Tim Sheen's got that 50-game rule, like in your head, how many games do you think it takes to be a first grader? Oh yeah, that's a that's a fair call. Fifty games, because there's, yeah. there's a lot of ups and downs um, that goes into fifty games. There's a lot of close wins. There's a lot of bad a lot of losses. careers finished. Yeah, that's right. And not yeah. many people get to to play fifty games, you know. So um, I think you you get a couple of really good lessons in fifty games, you know. And if you're good enough to stay on past that, you, you're well you're well into your career, and um, you're going to take a lot of those lessons with you. So that's a fair call, fifty games. But for me, I don't know. I I was happy to just, I think everyone would say it, just to say you've played a few games, but understanding that I never really looked back. I just kept going, right, what do I got to do to play again? And I understood I had to be a really good trainer. Yep. I had to understand I needed people to follow me. That's the thing. I think a lot of players don't understand that they need people to follow them. Yep. Um, that's on and off the field. So if you want someone to follow you, you've got to be pretty honest. You've got to be respectful um, and you've got to want to work hard. 
on the field and it's pretty much the same off the field. You know, I think a lot of people today get – they're very knowledgeable on the game and especially all the spectators and the fans. And, yeah. and if you treat them the way you want to be treated, and uh, it's it's a good start. Yeah, it's a very, very fair point. Mm. So now coming through, you know, now you're a regular first grade, you got, you've got your confidence. You know, the Knights go for a pretty, pretty cool period yeah. into the 2001 season mm. where you go into a grand final against mm. Parramatta where – you're kind of underdogs, but you're kind of not. Nah, well, we had some big game players, didn't we? Yeah. We, but they had an amazing, amazing season. They scored, you know, eight hundred odd points for, and only let in a couple of points against. You know, two hundred points against, and they were just on fire. Mm. But our period between '98 to 2002, without being greedy, and just so glad we ticked the box and won one, but. Looking at those teams, we probably should have had one. In the situation we finished well. another yeah. one, we should have finished. Uh, you know, two thousand, we had a, a really good team, and it was um, bloody Freddie. Freddie kept yeah. knocking you out of the semis. That's right, it was. The Roosters were up eighteen nil at half time, and um, you know they, the, the Brisbane Broncos were a hot team that year, and yeah. you know the Roosters ended up facing them in the grand final. But a couple of those occasions, because we had those those big game players, we could have really given it a shot. And that, that squad of two thousand with Matty Johns and David Fairley, mm. Tony Butterfield, and that was probably you know one of that one of our better squads. Um, it was pretty uh, real hollow feeling to think we didn't kick on that year, but. And then ninety nine, we we got beaten hundred. I think it was a hundred minutes by the or ninety nine or ninety eight hundred minutes by the Bulldogs. Yeah, you know, in the in the semi semi finals there. So that was another missed opportunity to to kick on. And um, but in saying that, to get one is yeah, not many players get to say that big time. When you're in a dressing room with someone like Andrew Johns, when you're five or ten, ten minutes away from from the game, like are you guys having a chat? Like, do you guys leave each other alone? Yeah, Joey's. Very complex uh, with a lot of things, which what he does, and I, yeah. I understand how he works. It took me a while to work him out, but I understood how he works. And you know, I used, Mark Hughes and myself used to pick him up every day for training. We picked him up every time for for the game. So yeah. there was days where he didn't want to go to training. There was days where we actually physically had to get him in the car. Really? Um, you know, you, there was you know, once he got into that over that um, that line and that was his office that's where he felt okay. most comfortable so yep. so but all those self doubt even two days out from a game the doubt of uh, oh, I'm sh- I've got an injury you know there was notorious that Joey was always had an injury you know what's, what's going what's going on with Joey he's, he's injured again is he alright yeah. but what he was actually doing is he's taking the pressure off himself if he didn't stack up to his high his high lofty gotcha. heights yep. so all the way up to the game you know like I can't play I can't do this and you say mate you'll be right you'll be right and then all of a sudden he goes out and just kills it. And then on the flip side of that, when he's on his high, he's like, let's go, boys. And that dressing room, that feeling yeah. is amazing. He had the ability to really change the the atmosphere in our dressing shed just on the back of his amazing um, talent. And he's you know, he's, he's one of those guys that once you worked him out and you had a couple of strategies around him to, yeah. to make him play well, um, that's what a team's about. You know, sometimes you need to fall on each other. Danny, you play with some amazing players. Is he the only one that when he really flicks the switch on, he's undefendable pretty much? I think so. When he came back from his knee, Rico, and his, his injury against the Broncos where he scored 32 points, I think it was. Yeah. When he came back and he's in that high, that real high, um, especially in 05 in Origin when he came out, it was just an amazing, amazing uh, performance from him. That's that's when you know um, greatness wasn't too far away and that's why he's become the more mm. because of the way he could just turn the game and, and change the game and, and turn it on. So I think he scored 20, 24 points in his uh, debut in first grade. So wow. um, anyone that comes into first grade <laughs> and does that, um, know they're destined for great things. But... 
Yeah, I think it's the ability to um, know all parts of the game for him, the mental part of it. Yeah, anyone that reads his book goes pretty far into how he feels and what he's about in his book and what he struggled struggled with over his years. Um, you know, to see him perform like that, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to be a part of it. Yeah. Okay. Last thing before we take off, just end of two thousand one, you did your shoulder, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I did my shoulder. Uh, I did my shoulder in ninety nine. That's that Bulldogs game. I think yeah. it was. I don't know if it was ninety nine or ninety eight, but it was the Bulldogs game in a hundred minutes. So it was. As a semi final against the Roosters and Richie Barnett ran the ball back off a twenty metre tap and I went down low to tackle and just blew my shoulder out. And then uh the next week we played the Bulldogs and I had just strapped it up, had to pop it back in and I So I you're busted. Played. I was busted, yeah, and we ended up playing a hundred minutes. So, uh, that was I think that was a big turning point in my career. If you want to go back to that question of saying when do you feel like a first grade, I think that was it. I had to tough it right out. And, it's a um, huge piece of adversity. Yeah, played 100 minutes with sort of yeah. one shoulder with a seatbelt on it. It's like a seatbelt strap. And I think that, uh, especially my teammates, felt that um, they wanted to go, to go to war with me, I guess you could say, after that. So that was that time where you go, right, I can't I, you know, get this fixed and can't wait to get back amongst it. All right, Betsy, before we, when we finished up a couple of weeks ago, we are just wrapping up on Joey. So yeah. just to recap on that one, the first question I just want to ask you coming back into the podcast now, you know, 2004, obviously one of your best seasons when you won the Dally M. Yep. So Joey actually was off for pretty much the entire season. I think he got injured like round five or round six, so he practically did That's play. Right. So obviously yep. it's a huge step up for you, not only to be a leader in the team, but maybe even change your game up a little bit like what was the major changes that you made that year yeah I, I feel a lot of responsibility um not just on the field but but off the field and you know, keeping everything positive and you know joey the influence he had on that group was was obviously amazing from results to how it felt um but when we knew he actually wasn't going to come back that year we just knew that this is us and as a group we have to sort of you know, move forward and you know, the greater one of the greatest players of all time is not in our team anymore. So yeah. that was probably a good thing. If he was out for five weeks, six weeks or even ten weeks, you sort of know he's gonna come back. But he wasn't coming back, so we go, right, let's just well that was my mindset and I tried to implement that into the other guys as well. So I uh, just had to move forward and uh we, we had some results. Uh, my game changed a little bit. Um, you know, I felt like uh, when opportunities were there I had to take them and um, not um, you know Joey's kicking game. We had to make sure that was on you know a little bit better. So I kicked a little bit more out of there, which I'm not yeah. a natural kicker. So all those little things had to change. But is it is it not you know we wish anything only harm on Joey or anything like that? But when you have got a player on your team that's as dominant as Joey, is it sometimes good that maybe he doesn't play at times that you know you get to show what you you got sometimes as well. Uh, not, not really. I guess you you don't think of that way. And you look at some of the great players that are still running around now. You know what what would um, Cooper and, and that's a good challenge for him. Cooper Cronk went and he left the big the big three as they've yeah. been called down there for many years down there at the Melbourne Storm with Slater and um, and Cronk. So and and Smith. So but Cooper went up and won a competition, and I think that's a good thing, a justification maybe, and that's probably the way he's thinking justification of his career to to move away from those guys that he knows so well and 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 be successful. So. At Newcastle, uh, for us to be successful, you know, Andrew Johns was a lot to do with that. Um, for me to help the team be successful, I had to have a good partnership and a good relationship with with Joey, and 
Um, that was my main concern at the time, and I was just blessed, privileged to be able to, to run out in front of that huge crowd and um, you know have have Joe in our team, and then there were some other great players as well. That uh, Ben Kennedy, I thought he was just a fantastic athlete that uh, did so much um, on the field for Newcastle, and uh, you know Tamana Tahu, uh, he was he was another freakish talent just from a point of view of athletic and um, athleticism, and, and Matt Gidley, the freakish, you know anyone that's got a signature Matt Gidley flick, it's called. Um, um, has had a, a yeah. amazing impact, on, an amazing impact on the game. Did he used to do it like heaps of training? Well, I just understood he Matt Gidd was a, a half. Uh, he grew up being a five eight, so he understood how to to bring someone to you. You know, like someone yeah. that had defender, so he had to go to a defender, and he just waited. He's patient and waited and waited for that winger to come in and jam on him, and then he just had the the, the great bit of skill just to to flick that out to Tamana and. Uh, that was a, a real highlight of that, you know, those, those successful years at Newcastle. Yeah, hundred percent. Now let's move on to Origin. Now, you know, early in your New South Wales career, you were made captain, and I read a, a story that you put on Players Voice actually about learning some leadership traits from Brad Fittler. Can we just go through that? Yeah, well, going back to 2004, as you spoke about, Andrew was injured, and um, you know, I had to really my leadership skills had to accelerate very quickly uh, at Newcastle, and all of a sudden. I got picked to captain my, uh, my state and, um, you know, at that time there was a, a number of players injured. I think Trent Barrett might have been in calculation, but he got injured. You know, uh, Joey was he was out with his knees. So there's a lot going on. A few other players that maybe could have stepped up to captain were, um, were injured. So what happened was uh, Phil Guild asked me at a, one of these days, one of our days of getting together and just sort of implementing what the, the process for the, for the series and what we're going to do. And um, he said, mate, I'm thinking about making you captain. And I said, well, Mate, I don't think you should do that. I've, I've, I'm just new to captaining Newcastle. He goes, well, you got till the end of the day to, to tell me. Okay. So I went back in and looked around the room, and in that room there was all these club captains, you know, Craig Fitzgibbon, Andrew Ryan, uh, Nathan Highmarsh, just to name a few, that have, you know, captains of their club week in, week out. And I thought, he could have picked any of those guys. So I went over to them and spoke to them. I said, this has just happened, and how would you guys feel about it? You know, you guys are captaining. You know, I've just become captain. He goes, mate. And I said, would you follow me? And they said, of course we will. Of course we will. We'd love you to do that. They said, but don't change. Just be yourself and yep. um, lead with the actions. And that's the only way I knew. And obviously I went back to Gus and, and told him that. So um, that was that was 2004. We had some dramas, you know, our, our first bonding bonding night. <laughs> that's right. We had a with few you. few dramas there yeah. off field. Yeah, yeah. So I felt like that was my responsibility and that was under my watch. So I was really pretty upset about that with myself and reflecting on how did I handle that? Maybe I wasn't strong enough and mm. uh, off field. Cause I was pretty confident what I could do on field, but off field I was questioning myself. And, uh, and then that next game, game two, Gus said, I'm going to bring Brad Fittler back. I said, great. Awesome. He goes, and he's to help you not only uh, on field, but off field. I really think you can learn a lot, a lot of Freddie. And I said, well, this is awesome. I love Freddie. I've idolized Freddie for a long time. And for me, he's, He's, his, he's New South Wales pin-up. Him and Laurie Dale and Andrew Johns are my three favourite players mm-hmm. from New South Wales. So Freddie was back in the team. Went to training at Wentworth Park, our first session. And it was just a start. I thought it was just a real start, slow session, just to sort of run out a bit of soreness from the week before and yeah. uh, our, club, our club games. And he sort of looked at me. And we're just doing a, a simple passing drill just to warm up. He looked at me just to say, mate, what are you doing? And I just sort of clashed eyes with him. And he said, looked at me again. And I just went along with the drill. And then all of a sudden, he looked at me again and shook his head. I, mean, I looked around. I looked over my shoulder as if he's looking at someone else. And then 
because I was catching all the balls and thinking I was doing my thing okay. And then he looked at me and he said, mate, uh, he whispered after training. He just opened his mouth after training. So I went, wow, what's going on here? So I went through that 45-minute hour-long hour session and he grabbed me and pulled me aside. I said, mate, are you happy with that session? I went, oh, I thought we were just warming into, you know, warming into the week. He goes, there's no such thing as warming into the week. This is origin. He goes, if you think that is the standard that you're happy with, then that's the way you're going to play and the team's going to play. He goes, don't yeah. let this happen on your watch. And straight away, I've never forgotten that. And there's, there's no such thing as warming up. You, you're there to, you know, that's done before. You know, this is all about when, you, when you're on that field together as a group, you're on. And um, I've never, ever forgotten that. Wow. Just the intensity, even from then, when you brought back to Newcastle, like the boys must have just seen you just go to a different level. Like, was did any of the boys ever tell you, like, that you were changed post playing yeah. Rugby league, it's a selfish, it's a selfish sport in a, in a lot of ways, and it's no disrespect to um, how everyone else prepares. But and but it, well, you, you think about it, you, you worry about how you feel, you worry about your own training, you get told to worry about your own backyard, don't worry about anyone else. Um, make sure you're training the best you can. So when there's a lot of your your your, and you've got to switch into team because. Um, that's how you make a good team and have uh, all these relationships and um, understandings of each other, how they work. So it's a bit of a fine line. Um, so when when you're sort of preparing as a um, just a player, you're sort of worried about your own performance and being the best, best teammate you can be. But uh, when you're captain, your responsibility is just spread. It's spread over everything. It's spread um, how you prepare and what the distractions are, the accountability of yourself, accountability of your team. Uh, so all those things, that's leadership and how you, can, how you actually hand, handle that is so important. So they are the things I brought back to Newcastle and uh, it wasn't just about me and how I prepared, it was about the whole team and um, having that fine line and knowing, um, you know, not overstepping the mark but understanding what we can do as a group. Yeah, definitely. Now, you know, you're under Freddie at the moment. Freddie's the head coach and you're the assistant coach for, for New South Wales. How uncanny that after all these years that, two of the greatest leaders in New South Wales history are together and turned the tide last year, mate. Well, we, we spoke about that and that's going back to that that 2004 conversation. That's when we bonded, I think, that whole time. That you know, We ended up winning that series uh, in 2004 and, you know, and there was a great moment where Freddie, I think, charged the ball down with about a couple of minutes to go and yeah. uh, went around and scored underneath the post and he looked back. And he looked back and he could see the new, obviously everyone was running towards him, not only because he scored, but we've, we've wrapped the series up. And he looked back and he could see the new emergence of the Blues. You know, there was Mark Gasnier, Jamie Lyon, myself. There was a lot of these younger guys that are just coming out. And he could feel that that's the next next uh, regime, I guess. So what I that little conversation we had about standards and understanding that, and he knew that he spoke to me, could trust me with... Uh, his message that he portrayed there, and I just ran with it. So that's why I think he, um, you know, that having me on his staff, he can trust me and understand. I know how he works, and um, he knows how I work a bit as well. So it's uh, it was a good a good bond, and to think that we, you know, uh, had a win last year is it's fantastic. But a lot of hard work goes into that with a lot of relationships in in the building um, here at New South Wales, and and picking the right team, you know, and that's one thing I think Freddie was in brief with is pick the right team and sometimes it's not always the best players that are going to be the best teammates and um, you know we picked 12 new ones picked character first um, before talent and uh, that's very much Freddie he's, he's got both of those he's got character and talent yeah, but um, for him it's all about the character yeah Danny how hard is it when you're picking the team because I'm, I'm assuming it's yourself Freddie Greg Alexander 
now you're all deep in the media as well. How hard is it to to both you know talent scout and put people on the radar for being in the team, and then probably not getting carried away in terms of having to commentate their games on the weekend as well? Yeah, exactly. You, you know, you, you see it now. It's it's round two in the uh, National Rugby League, and everyone's oh, they're hitting you up straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's talking about Origin and yeah. how, how it's going to work and what positions and he should be in it. And the sad thing is, only well, not the sad thing. The realistic thing is, there's only seventeen that can take the field. So, there's a lot of players are going to be tossed up. Um, but there's a lot of great judges that are putting great names forward as well. So. Um, it's definitely you've got to have a, an understanding of what could happen around the corner. You've got to have depth in all positions because, you know, we meet every week. We talk about the depth charts, fullback, all the way through to even utility, uh, who can jump in the spot if something happens from an injury point of view and, you know, what's the best mix for the team. And, you know, we're going to have to be so much better. You know, we won last year, but we've got to have a lot of improvement in us to, to you know, go back to back. And, yeah, we have to attack better. You know, we've got to make sure that happens, and you know how we how we click in that part is very important. So, uh, you know, the players that are there did an amazing job last year, and uh, you definitely can't forget that. But at the same time, you've got to keep evolving, keep moving forward. Yeah, Danny, how many players would you generally have on like a bit of a target list for Origin? Yeah, you probably got um, now you probably around about thirty, thirty-five. Yeah, you keep doing and throwing, and um, but yeah, you need a pool of about that uh, thirty, thirty-five, and really have a relationship with those guys and have an open communication and um, just to see how they go going and you know every time you see them at the games as you spoke about we're all in the media so you, you go down and check on them and how they're going and yeah. talk to them on the sideline well, that's uh, handy. Like, yeah Tommy Trevojevic last week how you going Tommy what's going on and he goes, <laughs> yeah yeah it's a little bit worse than what I thought the hamstring so yeah all these little conversations you have um, you know because you've gone through and experienced something together last year uh, they're very important to keep keep evolving as well. So um, you know, hopefully we can get a, a the team, a majority of that team, because a whole new canvas was painted last year with 12 new debutants, so you can shape them any way you want. Yeah, well, I was thinking kind of, you know, I just brought up media before. You know, the two guys I love, you know, watching for analysis is yourself and Greg Alexander. You just know the game back to front, but it just seems you're so prepared before you actually get on the TV. So in terms of a budding, you know, media person like myself, can you just go through your exact preparation for a TV game? Yeah, I'm still pretty much a novice in this uh, this game myself from, from the media point of view. It's um, a lot of learning. There's a lot of preparation. Uh, there's a lot of tips, a lot of people. You know, it's, it's amazing what, what you hear and what people say. And it's at the end of the day, you speak to and you, you run into people who had long careers and they all just say, be yourself. Be yourself and don't be anyone else because it really stands out and... Um, uh, Kenny Sutcliffe, I ran into him at, at a wedding, uh, Yvonne Sampson's wedding last year, and yeah. he said the thing. As soon as he said that, I said, "Wow, that's you know, that's that's great knowledge." To you know, so I tapped in to talk to talk to him, and you know, Andrew Voss, you know, failed to prepare, prepare to fail, and yeah, exactly, all those things. You just don't know what can happen on live TV, and even Vossy, like Vossy, always wears a suit because. Sometimes you have to go. You can go to games, and you don't have to wear a suit because you're not going to be on TV. But how do you know you're not going to be on TV? You know, we saw him last year. Are you would uh, rather was, be overdressed, overdressed than underdressed. You can always. That's right. Yourself. Exactly. So the Melbourne, uh, he had to call the game, and it was Melbourne v uh, Manly, and there was a, you know that fight last year with Curtis Scott and Dylan Walker, and yeah. you know, Vossi did an amazing job on the sideline. Um, he was ready to go. So all those little things you pick up along the way, little tips, but. At the end of the day, being yourself is key. Um, really finding out your niche and, and what what you're good at, and um, and go for it. And go for it, and be really enthusiastic, and be very keen, be willing to learn, and have open eyes. 
Yeah, do you prefer... And ears, and ears, open ears. Yeah, nice, yeah, listen more than you speak. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Beds, do you like, because obviously you, you do a bit of rotation between the studio, sideline, and then mm. obviously yeah. as, co- as co- like a colour commentator next to the, the main commentary in the box. Do you have yeah. a preference out of the three? Yeah, well, you, you put yourself in... Uh, out of your comfort zone a lot of the times and that's that's when you really learn you know for me interviewing players is something that's that's a real art for me and I've I've, I've got to get a lot better at that I think and you know even getting last week we went into the, the access that all the broadcasters have now you can go in and listen to the team song and and, and view that and yeah. put that through the, the broadcast and you know to go in for me I'm thinking oh this is a sanctuary this is the player's sanctuary and I shouldn't be in here so for me I've had to break down some barriers and feel uncomfortable so yeah. I think I think you've really got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, and that's because you're getting in these situations. You just go right. Let's just get it done. So um, for me, I love the game because I feel comfortable in calling the game, and and that, that comes natural sort of thing. But um, all these little opportunities, you get to try something different. Just just get into it and try it with both hands, and because you do, you feel like you, you've had a good little win when you you do go through and um, fight something you're not comfortable with. Yeah, but. You know, you spoke about building those relationships before, and you know, last week yeah. at Leichhardt, you had Jake Travojevic during half time. Yeah, you could yeah. tell that he was willing to speak to you because obviously the relationship that you had. But yeah. you know, he probably didn't want to speak to anyone, but he gave you a nice yeah. little interview, probably only because you you had that kind of that little relationship between the two of you. Yeah, rela- relationships is key, and um, you know, the NRL getting around to every club and talking about how you know, just how you can be yourself and. Um, you know, at the end of the day, what, what does the punter at home, what, what does he, as in the, the fan, what, what does he want at home when he's sitting there just, you know, half time, you know, just, he probably doesn't, all the statistics and all the, the breakdown of the play um, is probably being done by the analysis of, um, of the broadcasters. But what are you feeling on the field and how could you really open your, open the eyes to someone that's um, just sitting at home? And you see, you see some of these fresh face guys. You looked at Brandon Smith, uh, round yeah. one. Down there from Melbourne Storm, it was cool. It was, it was unreal. Really it was good. Like, ah, look, look at this kid, you know. So, but the access think, has been uh, good, hasn't it, Bed? Because the cricket was yeah. really good over the summer. Like the amount of time yeah. that the players gave, and you can kind of see that in round one last week. The players yeah. are willing to, to have a bit of a crack now. Yeah, that's right. Well, you, you look at the everything that happens in America. Mostly, time ends up over here, and you look at the access the media have got there. It is phenomenal. You know, the, some of those big. Big games in the NFL Super Bowl. They've pretty much done, you know, media pretty much right up to the game and well, the access LeBron, at halftime. Yeah, yeah. LeBron, LeBron have eight, eight interviews before a game. So yeah, halftime, uh, full time. You know, it's all in. So everything's all in. And and we did that in Origin this year. So in Origin oh, in 2018, sorry, we we did that. It was, that was one of our big briefs. There's not enough connection with the people in our state from the point of view of shutting it down. Why do you want to shut these players down? You know, it's only media. If you can't talk to a journal about um, what you're going to, how you're going to prepare and what you're going to do in the game. And we didn't feel that you could be trusted with the intensity of, um, you know, running out in front of 55,000 Queenslanders at Suncorp um, and doing a job. So every session was open. Every session was open to the media um, from the point of view of, um, we'd buy a whistle with about two minutes to go and in the session and the media just comes onto the field. So I think there were some really good stories told. You can Some players that were put on media bands are allowed to talk to the media. And I think they felt um, you know, a bit of a cleansing. You know, there was a great story with James Roberts. You know, he wasn't allowed to talk to anyone, but James Roberts' story last last year was fantastic to how he actually got great. to that, yep. that stage in his life. So all these little stories. The game has we got so many stories, stories don't we? 
We need yeah, you got to get them out there. Get them out there. Yeah, totally agree. One of the backstories I want to talk to you about, because I love the English Super League, actually, and you got to yeah. play with Leeds, which is one of the most famous clubs over there. And, you know, some of the quality players that you actually play with, like Danny Maguire and Jamie Peacock, Kevin Sinfield, like, pretty blessed to go over to a team that was pretty much at the top of their game, eh? hundred uh, percent. That that decade they had from about you know oh four to uh, just past probably twenty twenty fifteen was that was amazing and that was definitely one of those big things for my reasons for going over there was to play with those sort of guys and Jamie Peacock and I talk about Andrew Johns from a point of view of um, freakish talent and amazing player uh, captain but I, I loved my uh, having Kevin Sinfield as my captain. I learned a lot of Kevin Sinfield as a captain because. No matter what the situation, no matter what was going on, he was always the same per- the same sort of demeanour, you know. So he was a freak, wasn't um, he? He was. He's played. He was captain, the youngest ever captain. He was captain at Leeds for twenty uh, at twenty years old. And some of these guys play five hundred games, so they know how to prepare, they know how to win, they know how to lose, they know how to be humble. Uh, it's a tough game over there. It's a real played by tough men. You know, you talk about they always talk about the standard, and yeah, the weather is uh, gonna hamper the standard all the time but as far as physicality it's 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 brutal at times um the game is about attacking you know it's always you know this high scoring game so the fans it's a it's a really enjoyable time over there i i had a great time i think i'd love to have a lot of players that have had a long careers here in australia go over and experience that because it's totally something different mm. but one of the first things you never say over there is we don't do this like this in australia if you say that yeah they're very they're very anti-australia if you go over there with that attitude if you go over there with the best attitude of um wanting you got to be, be part of something pretty special yeah. yeah yeah they love you so betsy when you actually moved over there did you think that you were going to finish over there and like how, yeah how did you even come back to newcastle yeah, I'd, I'd signed for two years, and oh, that was me. I was done because that's you know rugby league. It's it's you know I think it controls about twenty odd percent of your life in the UK, but here it's about ninety five. I felt like I was just yeah, give me two years and I'm done. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be pretty much finished. And um, I went over there for two, had an amazing two years. We won a we won a comp over there, went to the Challenge Cup uh, final, got beat, but um, you know, won a comp. And then they said, "Do you want to stay again?" I said, "I'd love to." Like so, I'd signed for another three years. So that was going to be five years. And then after my my third year, um, I got a call from Wayne Bennett to say, why don't you come home and, and finish um, where you belong and um, be a part of what we're trying to do here. And at the time, it's huge. Nathan Tinkle was on board. Yeah. Wayne Bennett's coming back. Oh, wow, this is crazy. We had, you know, they had to get 97% of the members to vote in the constitution to, to, to be able to get Tinkler in. And yeah, so it was all going on. And you know, the club at the time was struggling in Newcastle from a financial point of view. So it made sense to get down that road. And, uh, so I came back and uh, it was, you know, finished off my last, I had two years at the Knights. It was, it was unreal. It was but you great. got, you know, you got the, the right 250 result. and like considering the way you did leave, like did you feel that kind of this was kind of, you know, the way it should be finished? Yeah, I, I didn't. I, I didn't. Um, I, I was so happy to stay in England. I would have easily stayed there for five years and, Lo and behold, when I did leave, they had a lot more success as well. So I missed out on that Challenge Cup, uh, winning that Challenge Cup, which I, we went there twice in the two years I was, the three years I was there. Um, Where'd they play those so ones? They play them at Wembley. They at Wembley yeah, as well. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so that's a huge prestigious. Um, the, the Challenge Cup's huge. So I missed out on that. But it's saying that I got my chance to come home and, um, and reintroduce myself, I guess you could say, reintroduce yourself back into the Australian um corporate world i guess you could say talk you know and and that's a big thing when you're over in england and you come back and you just you land in australia okay what am i going to do it's it's tough it's really tough so 
it helps when you're playing footy. You can still get your name out there and um, you know, and play well and be part of the community. Yeah, definitely. How was it when that you played the 250th at, at Shark Park? Yeah, I actually I was a bit disappointed in that game. We got a win, a last. It was last minute, second, wasn't it? Bit, last second, yeah. Victory, Dane Gay guy uh, got that one. That was, you know, I think it was a kick from Darius. Actually, well, I think it was Darius or Darius tapped it back. Um, but yeah, I was, I had, I was suffered anxiety. I, I put it out on the table. I, I was struggling after about five minutes, so I ended up on a, a on an oxygen bottle with about twenty five minutes into the game. And, oh God. I don't know what was going on. I just, I just it was a lot of built-up nerves. I would have had, I think, I had probably way too many coffees during the day. The way yeah. I was just nervous. I was nervous about the whole thing. And uh, most of my games were a game of, you know, that was going to be my last game there, and an opportunity to do this. So I think maybe got the better of me of all that, all my experience. But I just probably didn't handle that day in my preparation as good as it could have been. And I was gassed. I was gassed out. And um, I had a, I had a big back injury um, in my last year. And Missed about twelve. I rehabbed it for twelve weeks yeah, with a, right. a disc yeah. disc issue, and then um, came back and played two games and popped out the other side. So I had to rehab it for another twelve. So you know that that had a lot to do with my anxiety, I guess you could say, going into that two hundred fifty game because only a few games back um, into that. So I was out of shape a little bit, but also I was just nervous about a lot of things. And number one was probably my back and playing that uh, two fifty game. Yeah, is that the biggest thing that you don't miss, like? The, the contact and like the, the days after a game is that kind of the, the biggest thing uh, I was sitting there just you know watching the guys warm up and that um, you know in the first two rounds of the NRL this year and just looking at them just ripping in and that little part before the game you, you, I don't miss that that nervous energy just looking at right, what's going to happen here and but I do miss when you're in that contest when you're out there it would be good if you could just plop yourself in there and um, and really test yourself in a contest but the nervous energy and um the what will be sort of uh part i definitely don't miss that yeah you know it's only really been what four years since you retired or three years but yeah uh, 20, 2013 2013 the, so what's that six years sorry so yeah. have, do you reckon like because obviously you're around it so much do you reckon the players are even bigger yeah well you look i you know you look at tom Lolo, his efforts this year in 2019 and you know back in the day you Everyone asks you who you'd rather tackle, like who's the hardest person to tackle, and you'd always say, "Well, Petro Stevenson is hard to tackle, but he's big." But you know what's coming. You know he's just going to come at you, and you just got to put your body in front and do your best. Yeah. Sometimes it's it's your best, and sometimes it's not. And then someone let's uh, let's just say Preston Campbell would come in, and he just, just go step left, step right, step spin, around, yeah. and you just go wow and bang. So. They yeah. say who's the scariest one, and you probably they make you look silly. You you wouldn't want one of those smaller ones coming in and doing that. But I'm looking at Tamalolo these first couple of weeks. I'm thinking he's combined. He's combined both those two sort of athletes with a Petro and a, and a, um, a Preston Campbell together. One with footwork, one with speed, one with power, and he said, and that's that's what's coming at you. So that would be a difficult proposition. Yeah, definitely. All right, Betsy, let's wrap things up with a couple of personality questions. The first one I want to ask you, obviously I've been calling you Betsy for this whole interview. How did yeah. you become Betsy? Right, when I first came into to grade at the Knights, um, was one of my first games at Newcastle. I think we were flying to New Zealand. And there was a plane ticket. There was reading out Andrew Johns, Matthew Johns, Tony Butterfield, Billy Peden, and it comes to this one. It was Johnny Johnny beds are us, and the guy read it out. And I said, "Is that is that Denny Denny Baderas?" And he went, uh, "Yeah, that's it, Denny Baderas." So ever since then, I was just called uh, Bedsy Beds are us. <laughs> Boys, just give it to you. Uh, it's just it's good. I, I 
I found it as a sign of exception uh, acceptance when um, when someone gives you a nickname. So it was all cool. Fair enough. All right, Betsy, who's been the funniest teammate over the years? Uh, my mate Mark Hughes. I lived with Mark Hughes for uh, a number of years, six years, and six. Still great mates today. Yeah, I had had a ball with uh, Mark. He's he was just so crucial for us having success. He had the ability to really take the pressure off in the heated moments, you know. So, Mark Hughes, we had a we had a great time. And um, did he was drink out of the yeah. table? Uh, he, he, used oh, to, he used to love it. Yeah, that was before he's now it's Mark. You can't call him Booze. So I asked him that last year. Yeah, that. yeah, he was very disappointed. Yeah, that, last yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's um, yeah he's he's been he's been a, a great friend and he's been uh, an amazing inspiration to me, um, especially what, what's happening with Mark now. And uh, he still finds his humour in the day and um, still see him every day. So life's pretty good. How good's that? All right, Betsy, describe your rivalry at origin level with Cameron Smith and maybe even at club level yeah I don't know I don't you know I didn't really know Cam uh, too much for a lot of years really I still probably haven't got to know Cam really so I've just seen him as a uh, as a competitor and he is a, a ruthless competitor I can see that he he doesn't really have a look at his percentage of win losses he doesn't really lose it much I wouldn't imagine he loses much you know at golf or anything like that he, he just wants to be the winner so uh, and that's what Origin's about, just competing at the highest level and we're both going at it. And That's just, I don't know if it was a, a rivalry, but it was just us both trying to, to do our best for our team and uh, and get the win. So he's obviously evolved the hooking position to where it is today and um, seen as probably one of the greatest of all time from a player point of view, let alone position. He's definitely the, the greatest number nine from uh, statistics, duration, and the way you know he kicks the ball. You know, no one used to kick the ball like that, and still doesn't kick the ball like that. And how he can change the momentum of a game on the back of that left foot is, is amazing. Yeah, Danny, did you get a chance to watch Joey on with Maddie on Sunday? Oh, sure, did. Yeah, yep. You know, in terms of you know, for example, what he what's happened to him, and you know, there's a potential with it to be caused by head knocks and things like that. What's your kind of feeling to come sure you played in the middle so you're probably yeah. exposed to getting hit more than even joey was like what's your yeah. position in terms of looking after your health now post footy yeah for my position i i train every day i i've got a group um with, with paul harrigan mark hughes matt gidley kurt gidley steve crow jared o'doherty they're all old boys at the newcastle yeah, we meet just cover up wouldn't he yeah he puts us through our session we all do sessions and and we either start at Mark's house, so we pretty much every day, um, we kick off at 5.30 or 6 o'clock. And then yeah. the best thing is at the end of doing a half an hour of bit of activity is having a coffee and having a chat. Uh, that's For me, that's that's the best thing of going, right, we at boys and you're just talking about, and uh, we might jump back into what it was like back in the day to what are we doing today, um, yeah. you know, t- any topic, any hot topic going on. But you just kept your support a- system, didn't you? Exactly, and it's and I, I talk with you know if I talk to anyone in the mines or anything like that who've got an everyday routine, if you can just put some sort of physical activity and then reconnect with uh, a relationship that you had back in the day or a friend, yeah. it makes your life so much better, and and it really makes your your day productive. And if I don't do that now, my my productiveness during the day feels like it suffers. But if I do do it, it just kicks my day off on the right note. No, that's a real good one, mate. I'll have to reach out to someone over the next couple of days for sure. All right, next one, Beds. What was your favourite venue? We'll take you, obviously, your home ground at Marathon Out, but what was your favourite yeah. venue to play, and did you have a bogey ground? All right. Uh, in Australia, um, the favourite venue is Suncorp. We, we got the opportunity in 2003 to open Suncorp, Brisbane that's versus right. Newcastle, yeah. and, and, we, and we won. 
It was so it went through a period there. The Broncos are going. This ground's too good because everyone wants to come up here and play. You know, because so there's not really a, a ground where it's a fortress yet because you know it's not it's an amazing opportunity to go out there and play on the best ground in the world. And so they had a they had a drama there of trying to build a home home ground advantage <laughs> up there in Brisbane. So it's that was it's still the best stadium. Oh, it's not like they can water stadium. down the the insides and stuff like that. Like they used to do at Shark nah, Park and Marathon. Uh, nah, that's right. And, and Brookvale for me was the worst. But that that it's called a fortress brookie because. It was either the grass was long, it was patchy, um, you know, the rivalry between Newcastle and Manly, and he didn't have much success there. That was always a bit of a drama going there. But luckily enough for me to go to Europe to play over there, I got to play on some amazing grounds and, you know, with Australia. And But with the Leeds Rhinos, Old Trafford, it's just the acoustics in that place is amazing. You know, we played the grand final, and every grand final's played at Old Trafford in the Super League. And, the noise that just bounces around in that that place is just phenomenal. So especially when you've got two two big clubs with St Helens and Wigan and Leeds, when you've got two big supporter clubs, it's just an amazing atmosphere. Yeah, actually, because one of my good mates is Green Atkins, one of the the NRL referees, yeah. and yeah. he went to the World Cup in two thousand and what was it, thirteen or fourteen, wherever it was, and he got to do the final on the touchline, and he was describing yeah. it because, as you know, the field is above the plank, mm. like it goes, what, a metre above what the actual ground level is. And he yep. was going, it was just like, they call it the theatre of genes. It was, for yeah. him, even being on the touchline, it was like being in a theatre. Like, yeah. I can only imagine what would being like, being in the middle of the field would have been like. It would have been amazing. Yeah, and all those all those red, red-covered red seats, they're heated as well. So everyone that's on the bench gets a nice heated seat. So that's why you see those soccer players when they go to jump up, they go, really, I've got a minute to go? You have to go out there. So... <laughs> Makes sense now. All right, Dan. Final question, mate. It's just my dinner party question. Now you've got a, you've got five invites to a private dinner party. Now the only rules: no family or friends, but you can invite anyone dead or alive. Who would yeah. Danny Badiris like to invite to dinner? Oh, jeez. Uh, uh, dead or alive? I'm a big sports fan, obviously. So, um, and I, I love. I don't think it gets enough uh, kudos. Is, is tan- tennis from a point of view of. I, the competitiveness between one bloke and another bloke, you know, and I just think the way he handles himself is, is Roger Federer. I think he's just an amazing guy. Um, yeah. Who'd you get to see I this year? Because I remember last time when we spoke yeah. in the summer, you said you were going down. Yeah, I went to see Nadal. I've always wanted to see oh, Nadal. Nice. Um, Who'd he just play? To see, he, he played uh, the American. Uh, sorry, mate, it's of mine. But so I just couldn't take my eyes off court, Nadal. Or? Yeah, he did. He did. So he won in straight sets. But the way he went about his preparation from every point was just blowing, blowing my mind, you know, just um, the way he had his labels facing. And every time he, he serves out of that end, he faces his drink labels to that end. And just these little things, just it, it was tiring watching him. And it, it just gave me a real, an unbelievable um, idea of the discipline that man must go through day to day. So I love, I love that part about the battle. Um, I think probably he doesn't, you know, once again, Kelly Slater from a world-dominated sport, 14, 13 world championships. I think yeah. you know, he'd, he'd have a lot of stories. And is he the greatest? Is he the greatest athlete of all time? Yeah. You know, is you he nearly have to put him in. Where was he? He's in Australia right now. I think he is. The, yeah, I think the, actually. Yeah. In Sydney, maybe. Is it in Sydney? Yeah, Joey. Joey's surfing with him tomorrow. You're kidding me. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's surfing with him. Ever, at Manly. So I think he'd be just yeah, he'd be pretty cool. Um, and then you go back to your the other one, and and like again, going back to that competition and. Um, 
yeah, you'd, you'd have to go Ali, wouldn't you? you know, back in the day, how he just went about and changed the, the landscape of sport. Oh, I need some fe- I need some female company in there as well, don't I? Definitely. So, <laughs> I need some female company in there. So I have to think about that one. I have to think about that one. I've got a lot of respect for uh, a lot of people. That, the girls are, are changing our sport, the demographic of our sport at the moment um, in all sports. It's, it's phenomenal. It's definitely like the, the amount of growth in, in female sports. And when you consider, mm. you know, the two most successful Australian teams at the moment is the Matildas and then the Australian women's cricket team. Yeah, so, Sam Kerr. Yeah, that's right. And it's a lot of marketable too, goals. Yeah. It is, it is. No, absolutely. All right, Dan, you have to get back to me on that one. But I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast, bud. Before I let you leave, get following Bedsy. Twitter, it's nice and easy. It's just Bedsy98. Instagram, pretty easy as well. DK Badiris. Well, Danny, yeah, my man, cool. really appreciate you joining me on the podcast. And hopefully I'll see you around. Actually, I should say here around Fox Sports because my new course that I'm doing at uni, I think we're coming to C360 in a few weeks. So Let's do it. Hey, it's a good crew in there. Come and say good day. I'll definitely do that, buddy. <laughs> All right, Tristan. Thanks, Thanks mate. mate. Thanks for the opportunity, hey. mate. And that guy was Bedsy, Danny Badiris. Definitely give him a, sh- a follow across all his social media. Definitely check out his work also on Fox Sports. And we also wish him well for the New South Wales State of Origin. And hopefully see another State of Origin famous victory this year in 2019. All right, guys, next week on the show, another legend, Craig Wing. So he'll be talking his story from the Rabbitohs to the Roosters to even Rugby Union in Japan. He's got quite the interesting story. Doing a great job on NRL.com on their podcast and also on writing articles for the website. So definitely check out his work before next week. Thank you, big thank you to everyone tuning in today. Please share it if you enjoyed it with your family and friends. If you can, review it on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or even a simple review on Facebook also helps. Get in touch, guys. I'd love to hear from where, you, where you're listening to the show and people that you want to see on the show. Always up for requests and a bit of a yarn if you want to talk about the footy. Definitely get in touch. Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com or direct message me at TalkingWithTK on Twitter or Facebook or you'll find me at Tristan Nell on my Instagram. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed that episode. We'll be back next Tuesday with Craig Wing. But for now, I'm Tristan Cannell and this was Talking with TK.